0: was born a Muslim in Ethiopia, but eventually he found Jesus and gave his life to him. That was only the beginning. Khalid faced ridicule, slander, and worse, the scorn and banishment of his own family. Yet he persevered. Since his family got news of his conversion to christianity they implored khalid to recant to change his mind but he just couldn't let go of jesus the hatred he received in the backlash was almost too much he was forced to leave his home no longer getting support from his family he had no food no shelter no source of income khalid was sad and he felt hopeless when he was with his family he was comfortable now alone with jesus he felt miserable But the promise, I will never forsake you, rang in his ears, and he refused to turn away from his Savior. Khalid's story reminds us of the steadfastness of Jesus and the enduring power of grace. Welcome to Haven Today here on St. Patrick's Day. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we've been in a series all week called How Sweet the Sound. All week, we've been thinking about the beloved hymn called Amazing Grace. And as I've pointed out, this year marks the two hundred and fiftieth anniversary. So many have sung this song in churches all around the world.
1: Sublime gracia del Señor Fire.
0: It's almost a sound of heaven. Amazing Grace, sung in a montage in Spanish, Arabic, Hindi, and French. Voices from around the world praising our God for His amazing grace. In a moment we'll be joined one more time by Dr. Bruce Heinmarsh will share with us more about this hymn and how it took a while for it to become sung all over the world. It made it into a few little hymn books, you know, mm-hmm. in England. Mm-hmm.
2: But there's a scholar of hymns, Eric Rootley, said it, that it disappears from the public record, basically
0: in common use in England until the 1950s. That's Bruce Hindmarsh. He'll join us again in just a moment to share more about Amazing Grace's universal appeal. And we'll also ponder more on how the gospel of Christ has spread around the world to save wretches like you and me. After the program, I want to send you this just released book that Bruce Hymarsh and Craig Borlays wrote together called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the surprising story behind his song. You really need to read the story about a slave trader who met Jesus and then wrote the most loved hymn of all time. And as I've said all week, my wife Janet just finished reading it, and she keeps telling me it's the best Christian biography she's ever read. I think part of that is that it reads like a novel, though it's a historical story that's accurate about Newton and the writing of Amazing Grace. And I think it will have you singing with joy how Christ's grace can transform the hardest of hard sinners like you and me. You can go to our website after the program, and download a sample chapter to read from the book, but then make your gift there, at haventoday.org, haventoday.org, or give us a call at 800-65haven, 800-65haven. Now, let's open this program here on St. Patty's Day with the hymn we've been hearing all week with an Irish twist, "Amazing Grace," with the Gaither Vocal Band. This is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris. How sweet the sound, here on a Friday. And back with us on the program is Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. He's the world's leading scholar on John Newton, and he just co-authored a book called Amazing Grace. Bruce, I find it quite interesting that the most sung hymn in at least the English world, but it's sung all over the world... It was just another hymn for a while, wasn't it? Charles, I've actually looked through
2: hundreds and hundreds of hymn books kind of tracing this story. And it it made it into a few little hymn books, you know, Mm. in England. Mm. But there's a scholar of hymns, Eric Rootley, said that it disappears from the public record basically in common use in England until the 1950s. Like it really, it, it wow. just kind of disappears in England where it was written.
0: But uh, but on the other side of the pond,
2: it just begins, the, it becomes an American story and it finds its way among the Dutch Reformed in New York and among the Congregationalists in New England, and the Great Awakening. And then, of course, on the frontier and the camp meetings, it becomes a song of testimony. But it was about 200 years ago uh, that it found its tune. Because when these hymns were first written, they weren't necessarily matched to a tune. But the tune to which we know it today, from which it seems absolutely inseparable, it's about 200 years ago, an old um, Southern shape note tune called New Britain. Based on the pentatonic scale, it has a roots kind of folk feel to it. It found that tune. And I think that's part of what happened is that it, that, that that tune kind of carried the words. Mm. The universal mm. message meets a kind of universal melody and then and um, if one were to add bagpipes to that too it makes yeah. <laughs> it even more relevant you know? you know the funny thing though Charles is it wasn't played on bagpipes till 1972 <laughs> oh, oh. It, it was the Royal Scotch Dragoon Guards who performed it on bagpipes and what I still can't get my mind around is it charted on the Billboard Top 40 on bagpipes in the early 1970s. Well,
0: I, I, well, I've been to at least one, maybe two funerals in my oh, life that yeah. there was a piper playing Amazing Grace. Oh,
2: and state funerals, repeatedly, you hear it on bagpipes and it's mournful and it touches people. After 9-11, you know, I've listened to the testimony of some of the pipers who just talked about at some of the memorials, they'll start playing Amazing Grace on bagpipes. And he said, you can just see that mm. that people... Just how deeply moved they are, so it found its way into the churches, sort of widely, widely sung in the churches. And then what happened is in the nineteen post-war years, nineteen forty-seven, it's recorded by Mahalia Jackson. It's a spiritual, yeah, and it's already been being sung in uh, African American churches, uh-huh. and it's becoming like their own black gospel spiritual. But when she sings it, and it begins to play on the radio, it moves into, if you like, sort of a commercial secular space. And then Judy Collins, it becomes almost a, a, a civil rights kind of anthem, and it's sung
0: by uh, Judy Collins. She sang it with the Vietnam War in mind. Exactly. And, 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 and Mahalia Jackson, for the pre-early days, the civil rights movement in the 60s that would happen. And uh, the hymn I've heard sung at many funerals, not always with a bagpipe, and all the people who show up, they're not even believers necessarily, and they sing a wretch like me. It gets hold of you with that New Britain tune and those lyrics that Newton wrote. I've been thinking about this a lot, Charles.
2: You know, it's interesting that there are some hymn book editors and some uh, mainline churches in the 20th century that were embarrassed by the word wretch and they, they tried removed it. they tried to revise it you know that saved and strengthened me <laughs> that saved someone like me but it's not those versions that get sung when life no. throws it's very worst no. you know we know that sooner or later we experience the world is not the way it's supposed to be and there is a there's a wretchedness that we need to reckon with. And what's so astonishing to me, Charles, is that a hymn which talks about being saved, that saved a wretch like me, that people sing it when life is awful Mm -hmm. and when life is tragic, when they face inconsolable loss. They sing these words that are words of gratitude, but I think what they're doing is they're it's a prayer for grace. Yes. It becomes a prayer for, and it becomes like, I want to know that when life is at its very worst, that that's not the last word. The last word is grace. And I think it, it puts us in touch with our human condition. When life is inconsolable, this is the song people want to sing. Mm.
0: Thank you very much. Bless you, brother. And you. Haven today. How sweet the sound. Isn't it Amazing. Uh, The gospel hymn, Amazing Grace, is sung by so many all over the world. One of those places is in Africa. Did you know that the gospel first came to Ethiopia in eastern Africa nearly 2,000 years ago? The book of Acts says Philip had gone out of the city. Persecution had hit the church in Jerusalem, and they scattered. Philip was told by the Lord to head towards Gaza, which is along the coast of the Mediterranean west of Jerusalem. And there he came across an Ethiopian eunuch, struggling to read and to understand the book of Isaiah. He had the scrolls of Isaiah. Well, he invited Philip onto his chariot and asked him to explain. And on that day, Philip preached the gospel to him. And then he took the gospel with him back to Ethiopia. And now today, you can go to Ethiopia and you can hear Christians singing praise to the Lord, including Amazing Grace. That was an Ethiopian ensemble singing Amazing Grace in their native language, Americ. It's closely related to the language that the Ethiopian eunuch would have likely spoken. Maybe he told his fellow citizens about the Amazing Grace he found on his way back home. This kind of grace in Ethiopia eventually reached Khalid, who I talked about earlier, grace changed his life radically. And he was willing to face banishment from his own family if it meant he could remain steadfast and dependent on the Lord for salvation. Grace and death, they're the ultimate levelers, aren't they? No matter who you are or where you're from or whatever you've done in this life, you're going to die. And we all know this. Death is indiscriminate. It doesn't care if you're rich or poor. If you've lived a good life or if you've treated others terribly, it comes for everyone. And it's the same with grace. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done. Everyone needs grace in order to be saved. Grace does not take into account whether you have lived a good life already or if you have not. It does not discriminate between young and old. At the end of the day, everyone who's saved can resonate with John Newton's opening line. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Sometimes I hear pushback on this because it's not healthy to view yourself in such a negative light all the time. I don't have to rehearse the stats on self-esteem and social media. Young girls and boys being shown or told that they're not good enough eventually face depression and anxiety. So why would we want to walk around thinking of ourselves as a wretch? I think that's a pretty good question to ask today. And I think the first thing we need to remember is that the Lord made all things good. And when he made humans, he said very good. The Bible says God made us in his image, both male and female. You, me, every human who has ever lived is an image bearer of the Almighty. And we were originally created good. But then there's also something else to remember. We're image bearers, but we have also sinned against the Lord. From Adam and Eve all the way to you and me, we're fallen image bearers. Because only God is perfect, perfect in goodness, perfect in holiness, perfect in justice and love. But we have all sinned, and that means we've all fallen far short of God's glory and perfection. Compared to the Almighty, we are not good, we are not holy, we are not just or loving, and in that way, we are wretches. The dictionary defines this word as a miserable person, one who is profoundly unhappy, but it can also be a despicable or vile person as well. That's a wretch, and John Newton felt this after all he had done. He was a miserable person, he had done despicable things. But Christ saved him. And so when someone like Newton or you or me admit our sin and come to Jesus for forgiveness, salvation is nothing less than sweet. But we have to be willing to admit that we are wretches and we only need grace to redeem us. There's a story in Luke 18 that illustrates this perfectly. A tax collector and a Pharisee approach the temple for prayer. Listen how Luke tells the story. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. There was the Pharisee standing by himself, praying out loud so everyone could hear him. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evil doers, adulterers, or even, no doubt pointing to him, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, now he was another story. He was standing by himself, off at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then what did Jesus say, remember? Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there you have it. Two sinners going to the temple to pray, but only one of them acknowledged his sin. And the contrast between these two could not have been more obvious in the parable or more shocking to the people who were listening that day. In those days, the Pharisees were the respected ones. They were seen as the more pious, the more serious about their faith. But Jesus told this story of this one Pharisee and this one tax collector. And as you know, tax collectors were seen as traitors to their country. They were Jews who worked for the Roman state. They extorted their own relatives in service to the Roman oppressors. They were seen as some of the worst sinners. But here is this story. And the roles were completely reversed. The righteous and faithful Pharisee was arrogant and haughty. He was unwilling to acknowledge his great need. And instead, he thanked God for making him better than others, thanking the Lord he was not made an evil doer. Even worse, he pointed at the tax collector as an example. Now, if you want to know what pride is, just read that story again. Pride is what leads us to look down on others. And for this Pharisee, it was pride in his own religious devotion. Now, for you, it might be your, quote, good morals. It might be how you've managed to make money while others around you seem to struggle and are poor. I don't know what it is, but I know pride is a danger for us all. Jesus said only the tax collector left justified that day. The tax collector approached in humility because he knew he was a sinner and he knew he needed grace. And he pleaded with the Lord for mercy. And that today is a picture for us. When we approach the Lord, are we puffed up with the pride about all we've done? Or do we know how deeply we're in need of his grace? Do we approach saying, thank God I'm better than those other people? Or do we come saying, oh Lord, have mercy on a wretch like me. Your grace that leaves this sinner home.
1: From death to life forever, and sings the song of righteousness by blood and not by merit. Your grace that reaches far. called my heart to enter in grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored, and now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord.
0: That's a church group from Australia called City Light and a song called Grace on this haven today. How sweet the sound. It's been a real blessing to spend time this week with my friend, Dr. Bruce Hindmarsh. He happens to be the scholar on John Newton Alive Today, but I really love his pastoral heart that helps me understand the gospel. And that really comes through in the new book that he co-wrote with best-selling author Craig Borlase called Amazing Grace, The Life of John Newton, and the Surprising Story Behind His Song. Can you believe it? 250 years since Amazing Grace was first sung in Old new England and this new book it's a hardback tells the story more like a novel than a dry old book of history it's the finest Christian biography my wife has ever read and I think you might even say the same thing as you read the story of how grace and mercy and Jesus Christ changed John Newton's life so for your gift to the ministry I'm going to send you right away a copy of this just-out hardback book, "Amazing Grace: The Life of John Newton and the Surprising Story Behind His Song." Come to our website, HavenToday.org. Read the sample chapter we've put up. HavenToday.org. Make your gift and ask for the book, or you can call us at eight hundred sixty-five Haven, eight hundred sixty-five Haven. And just as we go. If you'd like to hear my full conversation with Dr. Bruce Heinmarsh on John Newton and his famous hymn, I encourage you to take a listen to our Great Stories podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again next week when again together we'll share the great story. It's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Maybe you had this experience when you were a young child, out and about with your mom or dad in a big store, suddenly turned around and realized you couldn't see them. Where did they go? Am I all alone? Have I been abandoned? That moment of realization and fear has to be one of the worst feelings anyone especially a child, can experience. Think about one of the things Jesus said on the cross. Quoting Psalm 22, Our Lord cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was suffering that you and I can't ever imagine. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken by our Lord. As the prophet Isaiah reminds us, by his wounds we are healed. But a Savior. Get started with Anchor Devotional today. Visit GetAnchor.com.